Hello and welcome to a new series of Hormones the Inside Story, the podcast series from the Society for Endocrinology. This time we're back with episodes about everything from whether you can hijack the ageing process. And they gave this cocktail to older males for a year and they managed to reverse their age by on average two years. To a look at whether human fertility is really on the rocks. I'm not convinced that we are facing Armageddon, but I do believe that there is a reduction in sperm counts and I do believe that it's something that we need to be aware of. And whether hormones can be the key to happiness. There is good evidence from animal studies that oxytocin is effective at alleviating anxiety. For the very first episode, we are kicking off with how hormones impact our height. Now, human height can range a lot. The tallest person on record, Robert Wadlow, clocked in at an incredible 2.70 metres. That's 8 foot 11 inches in old money. While Dangi, the shortest adult, was just 54.6 centimetres, or 1 foot 9.5 inches. And in general, human height has been increasing, as anyone who's bumped their head on a medieval doorframe will know. It also varies by country, with the current chart toppers, the Netherlands, having a nearly 8-inch height advantage over the shortest nation, Peru. And although there are some very tall women and some very short men, height does tend to track roughly with your birth sex, with a typical global average male currently having a 12-centimetre advantage over the average female. As for me, I'm below average for the UK height, as I'm constantly reminded when people pick me up, and I don't generally have a great idea of what's going on at gigs. So there have been moments where I've precariously balanced on a stool to reach something from the top cupboard, where I've wondered, would it be possible to change my height destiny and get any taller? So this episode, please join me, Georgia Mills, as I ask what makes us reach the height we do, and can we hack our hormones to get any taller? Now let's start with the major hormone involved, and its name won't win any prizes for originality. Growth hormone is what it says it is on the tin. Uh, It causes growth, and it comes from a little gland in the head called the pituitary gland, which sits just behind the eyes, and it comes out in pulses, often mostly at night, and it makes you grow. And it makes you grow by stimulating the cartilage at the growing ends of the bones. This is Professor John Wass. He's the chair of endocrinology at Oxford University. It's a little bit more complicated than that because growth hormone actually stimulates the production of something called IGF-1 or insulin-like growth factor 1, which comes from the liver. And IGF-1 actually probably affects the cartilage more than the growth hormone itself. The effect of growth hormone is probably not related to how much is being released. It's a question of the growing ends of the bones responding. And then, of course, you don't grow forever. And so at various times in your life, uh, you grow, certainly from birth... And then the most important thing about it is that you grow around puberty. We grow quite a bit as babies and then steadily get bigger until puberty hits. And whoosh, growth hormones and our sex hormones join forces to really get things going. The two hormones work in concert so that uh, basically growth hormone and estrogen or testosterone cause this growth spurt. But that's what's happening in the hypothalamus and the brain and the pituitary gland around puberty, which makes for growth. And then once we've ended puberty, what happens then? Because we don't get to keep growing our whole lives. 
know what happens then at the growing ends of the bones. There's cartilage before the end of growth. And at the end, these so-called fuse, that's they join up. And so there is no longer any growing end of the cartilage in the bones, the long bones, which actually cause growth. And so that's what happens to stop growth. Uh, and then, of course, growth hormone production carries on. And what's interesting, actually, is that you'd think that growth hormone just causes growth and really isn't very important after puberty. But in fact, um, I hope and think that your next question might be, well, what happens and what's the purpose of growth hormone after puberty? And it doesn't cause growth at that stage, but actually is responsible for a whole host of other things, which actually sort of maintain uh, the quality of life. And so why, why are some people just taller than others? There's something called the mid-parental height. And so if your mother and father are measured and in centimetres and they're totted up, and for a girl you take away 13 centimetres from the mean height of the mother and father and you divide by two, and that gives you an 80% prediction of a child's height. So that if the father's tall and the mother's tall, then they're likely to have a tall son or daughter. And so the answer to your question is that it's a very genetic thing. So if your mother's five foot one or something, then you're unlikely to have a tall child. But if your father and mother are both tall, then the child will be tall. Genetics are a big part of the story here. Height is one of the most strongly heritable human traits, with around 80% of the differences in height between people being down to variations in our genes. In fact, height is so hardwired into us that you can usually guess what height someone will be once they're about two years old, which is something John likes to do with his own family. It is quite interesting because, you know, you go around as the endocrinologist in the family predicting all your, your nephews and nieces' height. And actually, you know, this was done a few years ago, and I think most of them are fairly accurate. Uncle John, they say, this is what you predicted I'd be, and I am. So it's rather nice. Amazing. You can buy clothes ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And what about the sex differences in our heights? So the reason that girls tend to be shorter than boys is that actually girls go into puberty and get their growth spurt a year or two before boys do. And so girls go uh, into their puberty, they start growing, and then they actually stop growing probably a year or two before boys stop growing. And so that's why girls tend to be shorter than boys. uh, And that's why around puberty, there's what's called the pubertal growth spurt. And that's because sex hormones stimulate the growing ends of the bones as well as growth hormones. And how about you hear that people now are taller than the past? I I might have been a bit of a giant back in the day. So why do we think that is? So in the reign of Henry VIII, two things. Number one, the children were a lot shorter. And Henry VIII at five foot eight was taller than most of his people in his court. Uh, So that was one thing. But I think it's thought that nutrition was less good in those days. And so I think that, number one, nutrition is better nowadays. And so malnourished, extremely malnourished children... Uh, then I think they won't grow so well. So nutrition is important. And that's one of the reasons why it's thought that people are taller now. And then the other thing is that actually uh, puberty was much later. It's interesting, this puberty was much later. So uh, in in the reign of Henry VIII, so that the periods didn't usually start till around 18. And now they normally start 11 or 12. And also, I know when, when once we get older, we start to lose a few centimetres 
Why is this? Oh, yes, our poor old queen. And so basically, this is nothing to do with growth hormone. What it is is that you actually get uh, what's called kyphosis or bending of the back. And you can actually get a thinning of the bones and can collapse vertebrae in the back. Uh, and so a lot of people who are older uh, have a curvature of the back and lose height. Uh, and that's nothing to do with growth hormone. It's related to their bones and things actually changing in shape so that there's more of a curvature of the spine. So to summarise, growth hormone is released throughout our lives and it causes the creation of another hormone, IGF-1. Before puberty, this acts on the ends of our bones, making them grow longer. And then once puberty hits, enter the sex hormones which cause further growth spurts. Then, when we're out of the other side of puberty, the growth party is over and the ends of the bones are sealed off. So even if there's more growth hormones sloshing about, we're not going to grow any taller. So unfortunately for me, this means that once we are through puberty, our heights are sealed. And in fact, because growth hormone does have other impacts in the body, if we started wolfing down growth hormone in the hopes to get taller post-puberty, it could have some unintended effects. If you get a tumour in your pituitary gland, it can cause an excessive increase of growth hormones. And if you get this after puberty, it causes a condition known as acromegaly. The prevalence is 40 to 60 cases per million of the population. And this has a whole load of different effects. It can affect the hands and feet. It causes people to sweat more often and it can give headaches and so on. And so there are a number of different symptoms with which people can present. And then they gradually change their facial appearances over the years. And so uh, you can actually uh, recognise somebody who's got acromegaly by their facial appearances. So as an adult, excess growth hormone won't make you any taller, but it might have some unfortunate side effects. But what about pre-puberty? Well, this is where levels of growth hormone can make a massive difference. If you have too much of this growth hormone, then you develop quite severe symptoms. And if this happens in childhood, you begin to grow faster than you're supposed to be grow, and therefore you can grow to be a giant. This is Marta Kabornich. Professor of Endocrinology at Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry at Queen Mary University of London. Her work involves tying science to legend in a way that has dramatically changed people's lives. Yes, there is an interesting link uh, with uh, giants and uh, an island. There is um, uh, even a legend, is the Irish legend of Finn McCool. So popular folklore suggests that... Um, the giant causeway was built by Finn McCool as stepping stones to Scotland, so as not to get his feet wet. He also once scooped up part of Ireland to fling it at his Scottish rival, but it missed and landed it in the Irish Sea. The clump became the Isle of Man and the void became Olof Lochney. And for me the story started when I heard that uh, there is a medical museum in London called the Hunterian Museum. And uh, my professor of endocrinology, who trained me here in London, Professor Michael Besser, suggested that I visit the museum because there is a skeleton there of a giant, and he's called the Irish Giant. Just like that, the Irish Giant. He actually had a name. His name was Charles Byrne, 
So Charles Byrne was born at the end of the 18th century and uh, started to be tall in his uh, childhood, so much so that sooner or later he was exhibited on markets and um, travelled around in his area. And then he became so tall that he was quite exceptional and therefore started to travelling around, uh, not just in, in Ireland, but also in, in, uh, in Great Britain. Martin knew plenty of people with a similar condition that she treated in her clinic. And in those cases, their heights were caused from these tumours in their pituitary glands, which raise the levels of growth hormones. And because the bones weren't fused yet, it means people just kept growing and growing. But for a very long time, it was unclear what caused these tumours. I was interested that we had quite a lot of patients with this disease and got interested that could there be a genetic background. And then in 2006, uh, a publication appeared with describing a gene in some patients from northern Finland with this particular disease and identifying a mutation in a gene called AIP. So soon after, I started to test uh, these families, which I had by then, uh, whether they harbour a change, what we call a mutation in this uh, gene. And indeed, the very first family who in my kind of collection called Family One, they had a mutation in this particular gene. So I was uh, extremely excited that this, this is indeed something which, which can be identified in patients. And Marta began to notice that many of her patients had family connections from an area of Ireland all from nearby where Charles Byrne was from. So Marta got wondering, could all these cases be connected? Because they were from Ireland, I kind of jokingly said to my colleagues that uh, could there be a link with the Irish giant in the museum, you know, in the Hunterian Museum? And they just laughed at me. Uh, but I, I actually took my own silly idea quite seriously and uh, wrote a letter to the museum saying that I would like to study the DNA from the Irish giant. So by the time uh, I got permission from the Hunterian Museum to actually study the DNA from the 18th century skeleton, I was practically sure what I will find. And sure enough, a sample of DNA from Byrne revealed that he had the same genetic mutation Marta was seeing in her patients. So could the gigantic legends of Ireland all be down to an ancient genetic mutation? We did these calculations and realised that this mutation is in Ireland for quite, a, quite many years and actually probably explains all the Irish giant stories and folklore and historical description of these giants based on, a, on this single family. Not only is this a brilliant piece of folkloric and genetic detective work, but it means that we now have a way of identifying families in the area who carry this genetic variant, and so are therefore at risk of developing pituitary tumours. The sooner these are caught, the sooner they can be offered preventative surgery or drugs. The main issue is that we need to look at these families, look at the young people and the children, uh, screen if any of them would have the mutation and the ones who have the mutation would be followed. And this is not very complicated follow-up. They practically just need to be measured at least once a year and see if their growth is uh, 
developing at a normal pace. And over the years, we now had quite a few cases which we identified, and uh, several of these cases have been operated. And uh, according to our, our last kind of assessment, which, which was published in 2020, we found that all the cases which were identified in this prospective way uh, were a lot milder than the cases which were identified based on their symptoms, suggesting that the screening is working, it has a clinical benefit, and we definitely need to go on. So my motto would be that no more giants. Yeah, so it's totally devastating to be a giant. I mean, patients are very varied that they are looked at on the street, they are stared at, they are teased at school. It's, it's, it's something which is really horrible. So it's very important of a psychological point of view is to, to, to avoid uh, this as well. But also of the medical point of view, because a lot of the complications such as on the heart, on the bones, on the soft tissues, on their teeth, on their jaw, you know, any part of their body, uh, there are disadvantageous complications. So a pituitary tumour that causes an excess of growth hormone before puberty causes gigantism. And this means that were you to mess around, you'd likely have some of the same issues. But what about if you've got a growth hormone deficiency? Well, in those cases, having a very careful scientific medal can make all the difference. So growth in children is um, a really sensitive indicator of health and well-being. So any kind of insult or impact on a child can cause them not to grow. This is Helen Storr, a professor in paediatric endocrinology at Queen Mary University of London. But one of the commonest things that you, you may hear, one of the most common hormone problems is growth hormone deficiency. And that's one thing that as a paediatric endocrinologist, we, we diagnose and treat. And when, as, as your role in the clinic, how do you know when someone is just like a little bit short because there's natural variation? And how do you know when treatment is required? I mean, there are two categories of children with short stature. Um, you can get normal variant st- short stature. So that's when a child is short, um, but they might be normally short. So they might have um, a problem that is not caused by underlying pathology and they end up um, catching up and they have normal adult predicted height. So those children... We can usually measure them in the clinic, look at the family measurements, look at how they're growing over a period of time. In some cases, we may do some basic blood tests or some other tests, and then we can usually reassure them they're fine and their growth is going to be appropriate for their their family's height. And is it common? Because I know that tall people are more likely to get into positions of power. I think they're more likely to earn more and they're more likely to be on sports teams. Do you ever get people who are just like, their natural variation, but they want to use growth hormone to be taller than they would have otherwise been. Yeah, we do. I mean, we do see a lot of concerned families. And I think one of the problems is, is that in the UK, we're not very good at um, screening children and measuring children. So in many European countries, this is a natural part of sort of public health. Children are measured and, and weighed and reassured. So I think many children, you know, may get to a point where, you know, they're concerned or the parents are concerned. And we do we do see a lot of those children. Um, and often with, you know, with careful measurements and explaining, you know, that 
they may have some growth to come. For example, if it's a child who isn't yet in puberty, a lot of people don't understand that in puberty you have this big pubertal growth spurt and sometimes children have you know a lot of lot more growth to come and that often does reassure people but people do hear about growth hormone and they do think that sometimes it's something that might help their growth but actually growth hormone is something that is only prescribed for very specific there's only a license for very specific um, conditions so can you hack your hormones to get taller? If you're an adult, the answer is a definitive no. The best way to be tall is to have tall parents, have had access to good nutrition growing up, and maybe a decent pair of platform shoes. But advances in endocrinology means there is help for some of the people at either end of the height extremes, provided they're treated early enough. Thank you so much to our guests, Marta Kabornich, Helen Storr, and John Wass. Next time, we are looking at our hormonal daily cycles and whether there's any evidence to the new exciting fad in dieting that meal timing might make more of a difference than what you eat. The way those changes in the meal, the timing of the meal, the size of the meal is going to work is by changing your hormones. So the meals will change the hormones and the hormones will then change what happens in the brain and the rest of the body. Do you join us then and make sure you bring a snack. This was a first Create the Media production for the Society for Endocrinology. Explore more about the wonderful world of endocrinology at yourhormones.info. You can find them on Twitter at SOC underscore E-N-D-O and you can find them online at endocrinology.org. This show was produced by me, Georgia Mills. Katani is the executive producer. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.